Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord God, you anointed your son to be king for the sake of your church. Help us as members of his kingdom to serve him faithfully and to come to the full knowledge of his grace and glory, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the Apostle John, as he recorded in chapter 19, verses 12 through the first half of verse 16. From then on, Pilate tried to release Jesus, but the Jews shouted, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, or Gabbatha in Aramaic. It was about the sixth hour on the preparation day for the Passover. Pilate said to the Jews, Here is your king. They shouted, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. So then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they used to call them snake oil salesmen. People who had miracle cures for your medical ailments. And lots of times people took those and it killed them. Even today, you can have a drug that they think will cure a disease and yet without testing, they may find out that after taking the drug, there are side effects that are far worse than the disease. And so the role of government throughout history it's in its purest form is to protect life. In fact, it also protects your property because you need property to protect your life, such as shelter over your head, clothes on your back. So the government began regulating that, and that's a good thing. However, we have heard at times when people have needed a medication to save their life but it was hung up in the bureaucracy and by the time it came out of that bureaucracy and was approved, the person had passed away. It's ironic when government trying to protect life ends up hindering the cure, the protection of life. Well, there's an irony in our sermon text today because the role of government was to protect innocent life especially and the opposite happened. Our sermon theme today is those words that were shouted out by the chief priests, we have no king but Caesar. And we see that's a corrupt church ironically submitting to a corrupt government and a corrupt government ironically submitting to a corrupt church. I began this sermon talking about medications. And we have to understand that in a way we need a medication for sin. And God has provided two medications. And one serves one domain, the other serves the other. The first, because people are sinful, we need a government, as I already mentioned, to protect our life and our property. And the medication God has given in government is he's given them the sword, the right to punish and even the right to take life. So, for example, if a foreign invader comes into our country trying to take over, our soldiers have the right to shoot at them to protect our property and our lives and, of course, even our homeland. 
Police have the right to use force to match the force being used to protect your life and property. So the first medication God has given is the government and he's given them the sword. And we don't want to confuse that because the second medication God has given is the invisible church made up of all believers. And that church can't be seen, it's invisible. So we see it when people gather together. And what he's given them is the keys. The keys he's given, one, bind sin. If a person is unrepentant of their sin, they're embracing their sin, you know, they're violating the Ten Commandments, they have the binding key. Or the other key he's given them, and that's the loosing key. That's the blood of Christ in which we tell them, your sin is removed forever. And we don't want to confuse the two, but that's the irony that happens when a corrupt church in today's text submits to a corrupt government. And you notice, I don't just say church leaders. We're told in verse 12, but the Jews shouted, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. The Jewish religion at that time was pointing to Christ. And some of those people who shouted, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar, were the same people who cried out Hosanna just a few days earlier as they laid out the palm branches. So the people themselves who make up the church were already showing they had become corrupt. But then, as we're told, the chief priests said, we have no king but Caesar. And there we truly see a corrupt church, both its leaders and many of its members, ironically submitting to a corrupt government. And do not kid yourself, when they said we have no king but Caesar, they're submitting out of pure manipulation. Let me explain. They hated the Romans. You've heard me preach sermons before about how they despised tax collectors because the Roman government demanded 15%, but if the tax collector collected more than that, that went into his pocket. So they were legalized thieves. But the biggest reason why they hated tax collectors is they fed the beast. If they did not collect the taxes, the Roman government didn't have the money to continue putting their boot on the neck of the people of Israel. And in fact, the kind of savior they were looking for was one who would take the boot off the neck of the people of Israel and then kick the Romans in the rear all the way back to Rome and then kick them back down into the hole they crawled out of and then establish a political government based on the fact that the scripture made it clear that Jesus was going to sit on David's throne. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the church was submitting to a corrupt government and oppressor and the church itself was corrupted. We have to understand this is why I make a distinction between the invisible church and the visible church. The invisible church are those who understand Christ's true kingdom. Christ's true kingdom is his rule in your hearts. The throne of David was a foreshadow of the king of kings, the God of all creation taking on human flesh, hence he'd be David's descendant and sitting over the world to rule for the good of those to whom God loves, those in the invisible church. So Christ's true rule, his true kingdom, is in your heart. For you're a member of the church. And when we come together to hear and receive God's word and to comfort each other with God's word in its truth and purity, there you truly see the invisible church made visible. Jesus himself says, wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So here we see a corrupt church leadership submitting and leading the people as well into submitting to a corrupt government. Now we've already covered that God gave us different tools to use. The state has the sword, the church has the keys. 
And so we often see at times when Christians get confused, a corrupt church. The Apostle Paul has to deal with the fact with the Corinthians in his first epistle to them that they're taking each other to court and suing each other. Christians themselves really should be very slow at suing each other. It airs our dirty laundry before a pagan, unbelieving world. We want to be careful as well, brothers and sisters in Christ, when a church begins submitting itself to a corrupt government and in in submitting itself in a bad way. When we often see this, when churches have politicians in and the pastors are telling everybody, vote for this politician, there becomes a confusion of the keys with the sword. Christians today will often climb into bed with their government because they've become confused as to who the Savior is. And while Jesus prophesies that there will be wars and rumors of wars until he returns, many Christian churches have become confused and they think that what's truly the glory of God and God's kingdom is if they establish a utopian society, that's usually some form of communism or socialism, using the government so that they can bring peace on earth. That's a corrupt church. Corrupt because they're not teaching the word of God properly. They're confused on that. And a government that lets them do that is a corrupt government as well. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, even when government is corrupt, the church will submit to it until they tell them to violate the word of God. And then we're not to take up arms and overthrow the government. Rather, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's companions who were thrown into the fiery furnace are a good example of they just didn't obey that law. And Daniel himself, when told he had to pray to the Persian emperor, did not submit to that. That violated God's word. He didn't plan the overthrow of the government. In Daniel's case, he blessed them. But brothers and sisters in Christ, the greatest example set for us is that Christ submitted to the corrupt government's torture device of the cross so that he could atone for those confused people, so that he could atone for the sins of the corrupt church leaders, so that he could wash you and I clean and make us members of the true visible church. And so as they cried out, we have no king but Caesar, we see a corrupt church ironically submitting to a corrupt government. They both needed to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. Now, in verse 16, we're told that Pilate capitulates. We're told, so then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. And sadly, brothers and sisters in Christ, there we see a corrupt government ironically submitting to a corrupt church. This has happened many times in history. I often hear people say more people have been killed in the name of religion than anything else. And that is a lie. That is a misunderstanding. World War I and World War II were not religious wars, and more people died in those wars than all of the other wars in history, pretty much combined. And lots of times, when we're told that, that people went to war for religious reasons, they were standing against Scripture. We already covered we don't overthrow the government. And brothers and sisters in Christ, on top of that, though, there are wars. For example, the Civil War in America, a lot of Christians died to free the slaves because they understood those people who had been enslaved were precious souls to God. Their Christianity led them to be willing to fight to free them, and they did so properly under their government. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have seen times, though, where sadly a corrupt government ironically submitting to a corrupt church. And the greatest example of that is the Inquisition. 
Another example, for example, is you have this monk who has access to the scriptures. He happens to be a doctor in the Old Testament. And while reading the scriptures, ultimately he says, wait a minute, I've been reading these and it's very clear that we're saved as a free gift from God by God becoming a man and taking the punishment for our sins. We're not saved by our good works. Rather, we do good works because we're saved. And the corrupt church turned around to Emperor Charles and said, you're to kill that man. A corrupt government ironically submitting to a corrupt church. And the government happily used the sword in an area where the keys should have been used. And it's sad to say, brothers and sisters in Christ, it didn't just happen to Martin Luther. After Martin Luther's death, confused people who had been followers of Calvin turned around and used the German government and the Dutch government to force Lutherans into the Calvinist church. The minute the church is willing to use the government, the sword, to do what the keys are supposed to do, the binding and loosing key of sin, you have a corrupt government ironically submitting to a corrupt church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, however, while we always see sinners in the church, and we always, at least in the visible church, they're washed clean in the invisible, and while we will always see corruption in government, during the time of the Reformation, for example, even though originally he was somewhat playing politics himself, God used Frederick the Wise to protect Martin Luther. And the good news of salvation in Christ as a free gift was once again allowed to flourish. When Frederick the Wise died, his half-brother, John the Steadfast, also protected the good news of salvation in Christ. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, even when you have a democracy, if your people are uninformed or if they've been lied to, it just as the people shouted out, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. So people can be led by lies to end up supporting a corrupt government, even with democracy. Now, we are thankful that Pilate showed some backbone because he actually had the charges for which Jesus was crucified posted above Jesus' head on the cross. In Latin, it was Iesus Nazareth Rex Judicus. That's the I-N-R-I in re that you see sometimes on crosses in graveyards. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Pilate showed backbone at least to say this is the reason why the government allowed him to die. You guys claim he's a king. He is a king. And Jesus is guilty of being a king because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the king of all creation. And he dies on that cross so that he can atone for your sins. He submitted to both the corrupt church and the corrupt government so that he could wash your sins and make you part of the pure church, the invisible church of all believers. And he rules in your heart. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, if your church is corrupt and not teaching the word of God purely, it doesn't mean you use the sword and kill the false teachers. You correct it using the word. And if the church refuses to be corrected, you leave. Go to one that does teach the word of God and its truth and purity. When your government refuses to be cleansed, then you work in America through the voting system, not through arms. Christ even redeemed crooked government by submitting and allowing himself to die on the Roman government's torture device. He died to offer salvation, and even some of the soldiers who were there guarding him became believers. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, as a side note, we're blessed to have a nation that does give us the freedom of religion. And I've 
want to apply that to voting. I don't tell people how to vote. Christianity should make it clear that there are certain issues we just simply can't support. But I've never voted for somebody for president because I thought they were the perfect president of all the people, all the citizens in America. I've always voted because the other guy was worse. In other words, I didn't vote for somebody for president. I voted to prevent somebody else from being president. Sometimes the life of a Christian is picking the lesser of the two evils. But we see, we see even today, our Congress is trying to pass a stimulus bill to help during this coronavirus. We see one side saying, you guys, this party is throwing in all kinds of pork, and that's corrupt government. But the other side saying, we think you're looking out for big business and not for the individual employee. And they're accusing each other of that in both cases. There is corrupt government. But brothers and sisters in Christ, in spite of all that, God still works through government. They've, we've been given suggestions to help slow the spread of this virus and even to stimulate and increase and speed up the, the research and encourage the research into things to help give immunities to this virus and to look for cures. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the ultimate irony here is we look at a corrupt church ironically submitting to a corrupt government and a corrupt government ironically submitting to a corrupt church is we need both. And they both need each other. What do I mean? The government provides protection for your life and property. And when it's providing protection for life, it's providing protection for the church. Because yes, there are people of other religions, and there are sadly even those in Christianity, as we've already covered, who would use the sword, abuse it, to force other people into their teachings. That's why we need a government to protect life. I've often said... My neighbor does not need laws to protect them from me. I've had a few times, never anything major, where a neighbor has said, Fred, you're doing this, and it's kind of frustrating. Oh, thank you for telling me. I'll quit. Because I love God and I love my fellow man. I need the government to protect me from my unbelieving neighbor who maybe will steal my property, who maybe will steal things that I need for my life. But brothers and sisters in Christ, not only does the church need the protection of the government, but especially here in America, the government needs the church. Why is that? Well, I just mentioned that my neighbor does not need the government to protect them from me. Do you realize when we have Christianity, the true believers, because they love God, submit themselves to God's Ten Commandments. Those are the laws they need. But... When we become less and less a Christian government, when there's less and less Christian citizens, you'll notice the more unchristian America becomes, the more laws we have on our books because we don't govern ourselves. The church deals with the keys, but it also, because we have the Holy Spirit in our heart, because we have Christ in our hearts, we're not going to steal. We're not going to take life. So both are needed. I began this sermon talking about when a government trying to prevent a medication from taking a life ends up in its bureaucracy keeping that medication from the hands of somebody who needs it. Christ is the true medication for a corrupt government and a corrupt church. Corrupt government because when Christ returns, he is going to abolish the need for government because everyone who trusts in him will have their sinful nature removed and they'll never look at stealing or taking somebody's life. And those who rejected him, they'll be locked away in God's eternal prison. Christ is the medication for a corrupt church. 
Because He comes with His Word, with the keys that bind and loose sin. He washes the sins of its members away. We use government to protect life. Christ used the abuse of government to give His life to save yours. He is a king, and he's put you in his kingdom. And now again is an application as I wrap up this sermon. During the time of this coronavirus, the government needs to make sure that snake oil cells aren't being used, that people are not charging excessive prices for supplies in a panicking media. But as Christians, we have the message they need to hear. You have life in Christ. God is ruling for you. Even if the virus takes your life, you have eternal life ahead of you. But we also have that message where we're willing to share. We're willing to not be selfish and hoard supplies because we know our God is there to provide for us. And so today we have seen that statement, we have no king but Caesar. A corrupt church ironically submitted to a corrupt government. A corrupt government ironically submitted to a corrupt church. And a holy, precious God used it to atone for both that he could put you in his kingdom, the invisible church forever. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, in this time of pandemic, we ask you to use our government to protect life by easing unnecessary restrictions, punishing those who would take advantage of this dark hour to intentionally sell false cures or overly charge for needed medical supplies, and to provide a safe environment for those who may find a vaccine or a cure. We also ask that you use the church, that those who belong to your invisible kingdom of grace may show your love and calm the fears and quell the selfish hoarding in our country. Only when a person knows that they have eternal life in you will they be able to look at such a pandemic with true peace. Amen.